Welcome to the Unforgotten Families Podcast, an action-oriented community of hope, inclusivity, and compassion for all medically fragile families. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of these resilient individuals. It's our hope that the information and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten. Today, I am here with Mia Matthews, who is the president and executive director of the Chance Promise Foundation. And I was introduced to Mia as someone basically said, I know a mother that you need to connect with because she is such a strong and amazing advocate. And I felt that from you from the moment we spoke. And I really just love your energy. And I'm really just happy to be here with you today. So thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome. And Garrett, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share my story. And I really hope others are encouraged and empowered and motivated to do what I'm doing or take what I'm doing and go beyond. Yes, I know that you will inspire others to do the same as you do. And I would love to just do a real quick check-in. It's been a few months since we've really connected. Can you just tell me what's been up in your life um, during that time? Sure. So um, I am starting back my advocacy work. I've been reaching out to senators here in Maryland to get the bill started, um, moving, get the bill started again, get it moving, um, figuring out who's going to pick up the bill. Like I told you before, Garrett, um, the bill was actually presented in the Senate House um, here at the Maryland State Capitol, March of 2020. Unfortunately, COVID hit the week after. So my bill was kind of dropped um, by the wayside, which is fine because COVID was, was the pressing issue, which it still is. But we are trying to get someone to pick the bill up now and get this bill started. It does have a good chance at passing. And I'm just trying to be persistent. I'm reaching out to different senators who were supporters of the bill, um, getting it back on the forefront, reminding them of how important it is. I'm reaching out to my supporters, which a big one is uh, Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital here in Baltimore. They're a big supporter. They've even been um, training nurses. They won a grant from Hopkins recently to continue the training of nurses which is what my bill is pushing for. But um, they've just been going on, continuing to do the work, even without the bill being passed. And that'll all be good for us because it'll show that, hey, this is a need. There's an agency out here already doing it, but we need the state to step in and make this mandatory. So that's what I've been doing, sending emails, making phone calls while working full time and running a business. <laughs> wow. And, and can you talk a little bit about the actual bill, what the bill is, and also why you sure. are so passionate about it and why you created it. Sure. So I will start, I'll back up and um, from the beginning, the bill is called, um, the Chan- it's called Channing's Law and it's Senate Bill 1041. The bill is pushing for nurses to have a mandatory training for children, for kiddos who are on trach, who are on ventilators and have tracheostomies inside the home. And like I said, I'll back up and it's a little, it's a little sad, but Shannon was my daughter. 
Um, she was this baby that was born in 2015 with a lot of medical issues, some that we had no idea that she had um, in utero. When Shannon came, we saw that her mouth didn't open. Her mouth maybe opened a couple of centimeters. So it was a miracle that she was even here. Um, she was intubated immediately, which means that they had to put a breathing tube down her throat as soon as she was born because her mouth couldn't open. Further tests showed that um, Shannon had a cleft palate and an um, underdeveloped jaw. So if you could picture a kid with an um, extreme overbite, and that's how Shannon looked. From the outside, you couldn't tell any of this because she was just this little cute, we called her doll baby, and that was the nickname nurses gave her in the hospital. Um, when Shannon came home, she was on a ventilator 24 hours a day. She had a tracheostomy, a feeding tube, and that means that she required 24-hour care. So um, Shannon had nursing 24 hours a day. Well, she had 12 hours a day of nursing hours, and when nurses weren't with her, my husband and I were with her. Um, but it was great. We made it work. You know, it was a big adjustment to our family because we had other kids, but um, we wanted Shannon home. And that was the only way we could get her home was to, we had to train and learn how to take care of her as they would in the hospital. We also had um, nurses who we thought that were well-trained and some of them were, but unfortunately one night Shannon went into distress and the nurse that she was with didn't perform those life-saving measures that Shannon needed. Shannon needed oxygen, Shannon needed CPR, and those things weren't done. Um, unfortunately, Shannon passed away when she was two and a half years old on April 13th of 2018. Um, once I and my husband came out of the fog, and I would say, and I, I use that lightly because we're still in a fog, um, losing a child is one of the biggest heartbreaks um, one could ever experience. But once we started thinking about what we could do, so this won't happen to another child. Um, we know kids are being born sicker, kids are going home on medical equipment. And um, we were a part of a huge community through Facebook, um, families that we've met that experienced this before us, unfortunately, and the families that we met who had kids still at home. So um. We, you know, as we started sharing our story about what happened that night, other families were saying, you know, you should really do something, um, you know, now. And they were almost like using me as the poster child for this because now I have the time. When you have that child at home, you don't have time to do anything. You have time to go to work, come home, relieve that nurse, start taking care of your child, get your children ready for, you know, school the next day, homework. You really have time, not even time to shower. Um, so once that happened, we just start, I, we both started talking to other families and just finding out what we could do. And that eventually pushed me to reaching out to nursing agencies, reaching out to Mount Washington Hospital, who we had a great relationship with because that's where Shannon did rehab and she had saw some specialists there. But we just started reaching out and find, and I started getting in contact with agencies who were training nurses and this were these were nursing agencies but bigger nursing agencies um for instance Bayada they actually are he, a large nursing agency but they actually have simulation centers where they train their nurses the right way and they give certificates and the families know about this training 
um, I actually attended, and that's and that's actually how I became uh, opened my eyes to the legislative side of it because Beata um, invited me to a few of their legislative sessions. They were actually pushing for nurses to get a higher reimbursement rate. Now I'm pushing pushing for training. They are pushing for higher reimbursement rates. But I saw that as an end because as I'm attending these town halls to talk about how, yes, nurses should make more money, I agree. They have a hard job working at home. You have less resources at home. You don't have a call bell. You don't have a crash box where you can pull it from the hallway and save that child's life. You got to use what you have inside that home. So as I'm talking on or speaking to legislators and other folks who can make change about why these nurses should make more money, I'm also throwing in my piece, hey, I lost a child and I lost a child due to someone not having that proper training or not even being trained in trauma because it is um, a hard and high stress situation when that child goes into distress. She's done it before when my husband and I were home. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not fun. And while I'm in the mode of saving her life, I'm screaming to the top of my lungs. (laughs) But I did it. And we knew what it took. So when we, you know, when we lost her, it was almost like, well, why couldn't you just do this? Because this is what we did before. And this is how she was saved. But um, that going to those town halls with Bayada, making those connections, introducing myself to those legislators and different people in that community who's pushing for legislative change. That's what really got my push into, hey, so I think one of the, um, and I forget her, her name is Shannon, not the same as Channing, but um, she was a legislative aide at Bayada. She actually put a bug in my ear and I still talk to her to this day. And that was 2018 when I met her. But she said, Mia, you got to go to Annapolis. You got to just start door knocking. You got to start sharing your story. You got to make them listen. And that's exactly what I did, Garrett. I made some flyers with Shannon's face. I put um, on that flyer and I'll I'll send it to you. Uh, Can you help my mom push for this bill or help my mom save children like me um, is what I put on that. And I just started passing it out. I went to, I would take off work and I would just go to Annapolis and it's about 45 minutes from where I live. And I would knock on legislators doors. I would look up which ones are on certain committees that may care about this, which ones are nurses, which ones have backgrounds in healthcare. And um, through that research, and, and once I found out you're supposed to go to who runs, who supports your district, I knew, I didn't know any of that. I just started knocking on doors to all of them and passing out my flyers, sharing my story. And it was amazing that a lot of them had no idea on this issue and that they didn't even know kids are sent home on ventilators, which was amazing to me. That's actually one thing I wanted to to just like dive in with you. And, and thank you so much for sharing all of that and being able to oh, like it's it's so much to even think about. And mm-hmm. one of the things I, I wanted to like have you paint a picture for, you know, cause not everyone that's listening does know what this looks like. And mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like it wasn't until I did what I used to do that I actually mm-hmm. realized what it looked like. And so when you were talking about, um, you know, what the nurses 
are going through in the home and what you guys went through in the home, I would love for you to just paint a picture for someone that doesn't know, like what, what did it look like? What did your home environment look like? Like what is a ventilator? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just the best way that you can, because I'm in agreement. like, you know, when you're, when a nurse is in the hospital, they actually aren't even touching the ventilators. They have to call a respiratory therapist. Right. And the respiratory therapist exactly. comes, they can press a button. They have doctors there, they have CNAs, they have a team in a snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. And it is, and then, mm-hmm. then you that's the nurse, but then you have the parents who are doing that all day, every day. So can you paint a little bit of a picture of what it looks like and what are some of the struggles that you go through as a parent in that world? Absolutely. So um, right, when you are bringing a child home. You have this idea that your child will either be in your room with you or they have their own room and you have it decorated very beautiful. Well, when you're bringing a child home with medical equipment, and I'll say life-saving medical equipment, your house changes. And if you can picture this, Garrett, we live in a row house in Baltimore. Um, As soon as you walk in my front door, you can see straight to the back, very open for floor plan. My living room and dining room became Shannon's room. My living room became her play area, resting area. My dining room between my couch and dining table was the crib, the changing table, the ventilator, um, a storage container for her medical supplies. That became her bedroom, right? Because we wanted her to be in a place where, of course, the nurses had space, but in a place where if something happened, we could get her out. She was near the front door. So we could always just, if EMTs were called, they could come right in, see her, and take her out. So your whole life changes. Your house changes. Um, she had therapy in the living room. The living room is just where everything happened. It's Family almost like your over. living room. It's almost like your living room <laughs> is now an I an ICU unit, a room. ICU, yes. I mean, really, yes. right? And then That's... you're so right. You're right. <laughs> and then you're um, even the ventilator, like you said. In the hospital, Shannon was in the NICU for nine months, and then she did one month at rehab at Mount Washington. So, right, we were not allowed to touch the ventilator in the ICU. In the NICU, no. You call the respiratory therapist, they come and press the button, and they silence it or fix whatever's going on. At home, you are the RT, you are the nurse, you are the PT, you are the OT. So you have to do everything that that child is getting in the hospital or I'm going to say once rest, once PT, OT leaves, we reinforce everything. So on weekends when nurses weren't here, 24 hours from Friday evening to Sunday evening when the nurse comes again, we are chanting doctors, nurse, RT, OT, PT, everything. Your life changes. Your house changes. Um, it's a little bit daunting in the beginning. And I can say when Shannon first that first night she came home, I didn't sleep. I don't think I slept for the first week because now I knew that all of that that I learned in the hospital and in rehab, now it's on me. And it's not just on a nurse, it's on me as a mom and a dad. We were terrified, but we made it work. Um, the house just became the ICU and that's just what it was. That's I think that's a good way to paint the picture though, for someone that's never been there. I've walked yeah. into a home very similar to yours in my life uh, many times. And I know how that experience feels, mm-hmm. but it really, that's what I always say is like, until you walk into a home like that, you don't fully 
understand what someone like you go through, like Mia and Channing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so, and I had a lot of people who would come over and just stare and look and not out of just, just out of shock that if they was their first time here after Channing came home, wow, you really have everything here. Like they really prepared you to do everything that they do in the hospital. And yeah, that's exactly right. And to also paint a picture for people that are listening that don't understand this fully, like I, I can't speak for Baltimore, but you know, where I used to run a company, which was five years ago, um, you know, you're basically asking the nurse to take a 40%, 30, 40, 50% pay cut to do everything that we just talked about. All that stress, all that, you know, energy of, of caring for them, what they could make in the hospital, they're making sometimes 30, 40, 50% less in the home. Exactly. And that, that part is what I struggle with a lot. And um, even, you know, even when I testified for my bill back in March of 2020, there was, I think, the uh, Maryland Nurses Association that came and opposed my bill. And they did bring that issue up that these nurses aren't making a lot of money. And now you want them to go to mandatory training that may be unpaid for them. They already are self-contractors. So they don't have the benefits that the nurses and the hospitals had. And I get it. And, I, you know, for the life of me, I can't understand why states pay those home nurses so low wages when they are sent inside of the home with less resources. I just don't get it. Yeah. No, I'm with you. That's, that is the, that's one of the biggest problems with all of it. And you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the family CNA program, which we can talk about later and how that helps a little bit, um, but, you know, does not solve all of these problems that we're talking about whatsoever. So I think a bill like yours added with a, you know, an added pay increase is something that makes sense. And I think the combination is what really makes sense, you know? So you are such a strong advocate for families, medically fragile children, their families and for yourself. And I would love, you know, I, I understand, and we talked a little bit about this where, you know, families are so busy doing all the things that you just described that it's sometimes hard to even think about becoming an advocate um, and to, to do anything more than they're already doing. What would you say is any advice that you have for, for families to keep going? Absolutely. Um, and like, like you just mentioned, Garrett, it, you can't think about anything else when you have a child like that at home. I, you know, everything was planned. You know, even if I went out for dinner with girlfriends or my husband and I were invited somewhere, sometimes we would pick and choose, you know, is it, is it that important for both of us to go? You know, can we, one of us just go and, you know, be the face for the Matthews? But um, everything's planned. So when she was here, I honestly wish when Shannon was here that I could have started advocacy because I think that Shannon, just like other kids like her, provides that shock value. When you see her and you see all the equipment and you see everything that we're doing, you get it. Like you get that more that this needs to change. Something should happen. How can I help? Um, and that's what I struggle with a lot, Garrett, when I am advocating and I am sharing my story, you know, a part of me just breaks because I just wish people could meet her 
and see her and see all that she was going through as a two-year-old. But um, I would tell families, whatever you can do, you know, there are families who came to the testimony for the bill and it really just touched my heart. They came and I didn't even meet them, Garrett. They just found out about the bill and they came and brought their kids who were on ventilators and thanked me. And that really gave me that encouragement to keep going. But if you can, if you're a family out there with a child like Shannon or a child with any type of medical equipment that requires nursing care inside the home, send an email. You can phone call your senators. You can you can call your legislators. You can send emails to supporters of a bill. You can find out about a bill and write a letter. And even if you're not physically there to testify, you can send someone to read your letter. Um, we had a lot of families do that. Or take that extra step and see if your local hospital or rehab facility is doing any training for nurses. Encourage your nurse to go to additional training. If you notice that something's off with your home nurse, or they didn't handle a situation with the proper protocol or steps that you may take, always step in and um, reinforce what you know. You know, you are your child's biggest advocate. And I found that out early on when Shannon was in the NICU, that any, and no question is stupid, no question is too big or small. If you don't know something, please just ask. Please speak up. Because you look in your child's face and they are counting on you. And one thing that I learned early on, like I said, when she was in the NICU, Shannon um, had a lot of surgeries. Her mouth couldn't open, so she had like a jaw distraction at three months old. I just looked in that girl's eyes and I told her, I'll always be here for you. And I'm always going to speak up and you will know who I am. I can't take you home every night, but you will know that Mia is your mommy and Mia is by your side and she'll always speak up for you. And that's what families can do. Just ask questions. If there's another family out there that you can share something with, share. There was a great Facebook group I was a part of, Moms of Trick Babies. I met so many wonderful families on that group that um, some I still talk to today. Um, it's really, really hard for me to communicate with families. Um, well, the ones who I became friends with, we still communicate. But I did leave Facebook. I left Instagram. It was just hard for me to see all those photos all day, um, even Facebook memories. <laughs> I'm not about to experience that again, but I still keep in contact. And those ones who are still out there doing great work, or even if they have a question, I'm always like, hey, you should do this, or you should look into this resource, or I heard about a grant for kids, you should apply. Just keep in contact. Anything you can do, if you have a, if you have 10 minutes, connect with another family and see if they have any issues or problems that they're dealing with. You, you don't know how, how, how much you can connect with somebody else unless you start that first line of communication. Wow. Channing was so lucky to have you for as long I as I was she lucky, Garrett. Was, yeah. And you were <laughs> yeah, lucky too. Yeah. And, and she's we're all lucky that, you know, you're, you're keeping her story alive and, and sharing it and being such a strong advocate. And that's, that's one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, through um, what you've been working on. I think it's a big, I think it's a big step that you've gotten a bill out there and, you know, it's, of course, it's not fully through and it's all a learning process, yeah. but I, I would love to know 
what has been your biggest learning process through all of your advocacy work of getting the bill and what's what what have you learned from that process? I learned to not make assumptions. I was one of I am one of those ones who always assumes that people don't care or they have bigger issues and bigger big I don't know. <laughs> Bigger something to fry. Yeah. But I'm that yeah. one who make assumptions. Yeah, you know, like you 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 want something done and you're thinking, or you have an issue and you're thinking, no, they won't care about this. But it was that one senator. It was that one senator who was a nurse by trade and she picked up the bill. And I just knew starting this that I got discouraged a lot, Garrett. I mean, I went to some of those office offices in Annapolis. And I, you know, after talking to them, some of them were not that kind, not that welcoming, not that um, encouraging. And it was almost like, well, this is not my problem. You need to go talk to somebody else. And this is who you need to talk to. I had a lot of being pushed to some other people. I had a lot of just talking to their assistants, um, a lot of phone calls that weren't being called back. A lot of messages being left and nothing happening. And then I got discouraged and I made assumptions that, no, these people don't care about this. They, you know, they're fighting for um, bigger issues, you know, that are going on in the state. But I kept going. And you can't make assumptions because there is one person or there may be two people who will care. And that's exactly what happened. So now I don't make assumptions. Mm. I don't even... You know, I don't even, you know, if it's something that I had that I want to say, or if there's an issue, and I use that in everyday life, you know, with my friends, family, relationship, my marriage, I don't assume that people don't care or assume that they'll be, <laughs> assume that they'll feel anything about what I have to say. I say it and I get it off my chest and I keep it moving. And that's the biggest takeaway because if I made that assumption and it stopped me three years ago, I wouldn't be where I am today. The bill would have not gotten, I mean, 2020, we had our second hearing. And sometimes I hear that, you know, bills take a while to pass. And that was pretty big that Shannon's Law had a second hearing. So I knew that we were going somewhere. But like I said, unfortunately, COVID happened. And I am going to rev it up this time. And I'm starting early because legislative sessions start January of 2022. And it's now September and I've already started. <laughs> Wow. And, and I want to acknowledge that I love that point you made about assumptions and how you go in a room and there's all these people trying to pass you around and saying it's not your problem. What mm-hmm. are what do you do to stay motivated when when you get those pushbacks? I usually call my husband and and that's <laughs> that's why I go and not him because <laughs> he's a little hot headed and I'm the one who will just walk to the car and cry. And then call him and cry, and he gives me that motivational speech. And, like, you know, Mia, you're helping other kids, you know, think about Shannon and what happened. And he gives me that speech, and I'm like, all right, I got it. I'm I'm pepping back up. I'm getting ready. I'm going back. I'm parking the car again. I'm not coming home. That's what I, you know, that's, I just keep going. And then I look at Shannon. I mean, it's hard for me to look at videos of her. We have so many, Garrett. But I have a big picture. And my house, and I'm going to send you a picture of it. And it's a little saying that I have on my wall, and it talks about all that we dealt with with her. 
And is it okay if I read it to you? Oh my gosh, I would love that, please. Okay. It says, in this house, we do meds and tube feeds. We do therapies and appointments. We do trachs and ventilators. We do sleepless nights. We worry and we stress. We also hope and we pray because in this house, we don't go down without a fight. And I got that made when she was here and it's been hanging up ever since. And I fight. And that's what I've been doing. I love that. And I absolutely would love you to send me that. That's so beautiful, actually. I will definitely send you a picture of it. A little teared up at the moment. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised I'm not bawling. <laughs> I've seen your beautiful... You've sent me a picture of her and she was so beautiful. Actually, I, I have a little connection to her too now because I don't know if you knew this, but I was born with a cleft palate too and a cleft lip. No way. What? Yep. Wow, Gary. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Channon had a cleft palate and, you know, eventually that would have closed up or we would have gotten it fixed. But wow. Thank you for sharing that, Gary. Yep. I mean, I have had, I've had, I think I had seven surgeries before I was seven years old and there's bones in my hip that are in my mouth. And um, but I, wow. when you said, I wanted you to share your story, but I wanted you to know that, um, that I, I that makes Thank me feel you. even more connected, even though when I look at her beautiful picture, I feel connected to her too. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I would love for you to share a little bit about um, the Chance Promise Foundation and anything yep. else that you feel called to share. Yeah, so um, event when I first started, and I, like I said, I started back in 2018 after she passed away. Um, we started with this big idea of, of course, pushing for legislation, but I also wanted to be a hub for families, and I still do. With um, working full time, and I also started a business for friends. I have Chance Palmer still at my forefront. Whereas I'm just thinking of the right direction. I don't want to just jump into anything too fast and fail. Um, the legislation piece is a huge part of Chan's Promise Foundation. But like I mentioned, Garrett, Chan is an acronym for Chan for Children's Health Alliance Network. And that word network is what I'm focused on. I want to create a hub with other partners, other resources that all support children and families with special health care needs, complex health care needs. Shannon was as complex as they came. She never had a diagnosis. We had all types of genetic testing done. And I, I forgot to mention, Shannon also couldn't smile or make facial expressions. So her muscles in her face were paralyzed. They had no name for it. I don't know what it was called. Um, there were a couple of th- names thrown around. Mobius sequence, Mobius complex, um, just all types of disorders or um, diagnoses that they thought she may have. But I was always told we may never know what Janet had. It may come up, you know, there's constantly research and tests being done. It may happen when she would have been 20 something years old. Then there's a new diagnosis that came about. But again, Chan's Children's Health Alliance Network, my goal is to make that a hub and resource of families. I started screenshotting before I left Facebook and um, social media. I started screenshotting questions families were asking our groups. 
And I wanted to be, and my thought was, my thought process back then was all these questions and these unknowns, nobody, there's no blueprint to take care of a child like this. A blueprint to take care of a child without complex medical needs. But when you throw all that other stuff in, it's a whole different ball game. There's something new every day. So I want Chance, um, Chance Promise Foundations to be that resource hub where families can just go and find out about different services they didn't know about. DDA, list services applications, grants that may be available to them. Then um, maybe a message board where they could just quickly search for a question that they have about I don't, the ventilator making funny noises or what's the best way to change their diaper when they have a GT or, you know, different feeding techniques. You know, I got a lot of questions and I actually did some videos from Mount Washington Hospital of um, how to transport a child with a ventilator. I had no idea, Garrett, my first time taking her out of this house was, uh, it was almost like planning, I don't know, special forces to do, I mean, it was, you know, how do we carry this? How do we carry that? What do we pack? What do we take? So I just want Chance Promise Foundation to be that hub and resource for families to go, almost like a household name. Well, Chance Promise has it on their website. We know Chance Promise has it. Well, email Mia. She knows exactly, <laughs> even though it's hard for me. And it takes me a minute to get myself together to talk about Chana because I miss her so much. But I also know that what I learned, I want other families to know. Like, I want families to know, you might waste your money by, buying, by decorating a room for your child if you have a house like mine. Because if you don't have a rancher, I don't think, you, and I have three levels in this house. I don't think you want people walking up and down your stairs. You want people to be able to get to your child fast. So maybe rearrange your living space on your first floor. So it's those simple things that families don't know. And it's funny because I still am in contact with some nurses from Johns Hopkins Hospital. Um, I will say, let me just put a plug. That Nikki was the best. I hold that place dear to my heart. I wish I was a billionaire. I would give money to them and Mount Washington. I would just give them all my money away if I could. But those nurses took care of her and me so well. And they gave her that nickname, Baby Doll. Because her face was like a porcelain. I mean, it didn't move. <laughs> she just always looked cute. Um, but um, they always connect. Still email me, Garrett. Like, hey, we got this mom in here and she's really struggling. I really think she would benefit from talking to you. And of course, I'm on it. I'm like, okay, give her my phone number, email. Let's make that connection. But that's what I want Chance Promise to be known as that resource with families of the unknown. They can come and feel a little bit more confident and empowered that, yes, you can do this. You can bring your child home. And this is how things will work out. Beautiful. I think that's a beautiful mission. I see it all happening. I think that it's so needed. And I think that you have a supporter in Tough, the Unforgotten Families. We want to be doing yeah. similar <laughs> things and we want to help you. And so, you know, just know that we're here. I know I'm across the country at the moment, but, you know, I'm always here if you need anything. And I really appreciate that, Garrett. Of course. Of course. We're in this together. I guess the last thing I would just want to ask is, what your take is on the family CNA program that's in Colorado that we're working to try to get into other states? I think that it's wonderful. Um, I wish that one thing I struggled with was 
not being home more with her. And my big thing was we we are a family of five. And well, when Channa was here, we were a family of five. And I couldn't just stop working. But, and, and you know, I tried, Garrett. I thought about just quitting my job and living on um, state system and just getting help from the state, um, which wouldn't be much. But I really, and my husband and I struggled with that a lot, trying to make that work. You know, Mia, if you quit, because I really wanted to be home with her. But I think if I was a part of that CNA program in Colorado, that would have opened up. Um, and, I, and I don't know because I'm not a, uh, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think Sharon would be here. And I think that families being allowed to take care of their loved one and they, or their, ch- their child and being paid for it would be amazing. You know your child best. You know, you are your child's biggest advocate. And having someone, you know, and it, it creates jobs. It creates, you know, families or that person to be allowed to learn a new skill that they can eventually use somewhere else or even train someone else to do the same thing. I just think it's wonderful. And I, I really hope that we get to work together on getting something like that here in the state of Maryland. I, I honestly feel like it really kind of goes in a great hand-to-hand way um, because mm-hmm. even if right away, because, you know, like right away, it wouldn't work directly for you because in Colorado, they do not allow ventilator kiddos. But what it would do indirectly is, and maybe it will evolve, right? There's always a chance that it evolves because you're doing mm-hmm. the care, you're capable of the care. But yeah. what it, what I believe it would do is the lower acuity cases, parents will probably stay home with their kiddos, which would mean that there sh- and it's that's a lower cost, right? And so the lower cost would mean that we could yes. pay nurses that are doing the vent and trait kit kiddos more money, more money, mm-hmm. and they could get the care then the training that they need to take those cases on. And of course, there's going to be some families that would rather just have a nurse, and there's going to be some families that would rather take on part of the care, or all of the care. Um, but it obviously could also evolve into a way that you know if you are a parent that's capable and the best caregiver for that child, why not let them do vents and trachs? I mean, that's somewhere it could go, but why not? Mm -hmm. I I used to always say I could find the best nurse in the country and I could send them Mm -hmm. to a parent's home. And that nurse, even in years of being there will not be a better caretaker than their, than the parent. Absolutely, Garrett. And then also, you know, even with even with the bill that I'm pushing for to pass, I, you know, and I always say this as a part of my argument that the state would rather pay for a $30,000 hospital visit. Shannon's visit for respiratory issues sometimes are 30 grand for a four week stay in the hospital. You would rather pay for that than train this nurse you know, give her some additional training to teach her how to prevent trick infections or teach her how to, you know, practice more trauma experience. I mean, practice trauma and situations, you know, CPR and making sure she knows what to do. When that ventilator starts alarming and that pulse ox is dropping, you, you know, you, were re- you need to teach her that. 
because that that and that'll keep the child out of the hospital, you know, more and and decrease those hospital visits and reoccurrences. So that's I always use that as a part of my argument. You know, in the end, the state can save money. Uh, I mean, I guess they don't see it right now, which is why my bill didn't pass the first time. But you know, that's what that's a part of my argument. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think how I would really love to to. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for spending time with me today and for sharing your story and, and for all that you do. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I just want families to be that advocate. And, you know, it's it's scary. It's really scary in the beginning. Like I said, I got discouraged a lot and I cried a lot. Um, and there were some people who didn't believe. They didn't say it, but I could see it on their faces. But if parents could remember, if they want to go the route that we're going and make larger change on the state level, one thing I always remember is these people put on their pants the same way we do every morning. So just talk to them. Beautiful. And I, I would love to end the episode with you reading that um, quote on the wall again, if you're open for it. In this house, we do meds and two feeds. We do therapies and appointments. We do trachs and ventilators. We do sleepless nights. We worry and we stress. We also hope and we pray because in this house, we don't go down without a fight. Thank you so much for listening to the Unforgotten Families podcast. If you've made it this far, please consider becoming an advocate on our website, www.theunforgottenfamilies.com. On the upper right-hand corner, there's an advocate link. And what that means is when it becomes time to take action in your state, we will give you the opportunity to do so with just the click of a button. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay in touch with us and have a beautiful rest of your day.